Welcome back to week six of Life of a Jesus Follower. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 10. While you're flipping there, let me just give you a little bit of background on the book of Romans. It was written by a guy named Paul, and he's writing it to a church that's in Rome. Actually, it's a group of people that are in Rome, and it was a place that Paul had actually never been. In fact, all the other letters that he wrote um, all the other books of the Bible, which were letters to groups of people or to a person, were all places that Paul had been. But Romans was somewhere, Rome was somewhere that Paul had never been. And he was writing to them in a relatively good time. It was a time of peace for the church. But he um, wanted them to have a firm foundation so that when troubled times came, they were ready. And boy, it's almost like Paul understood what was coming down the pipelines because just a few short years after this letter, Nero burns down half of the city of Rome. And in doing so, he turns and he blames the Christians, the Jesus followers, those that were a part of the way, as it was called at that point in time. And then for the next 150 years, there were riots and persecution and martyrs of Christians that were following Jesus. So what was it that Paul thought that they should know? Well, let's look really closely at these foundational questions that Paul asks of them, starting in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? That verse has some huge questions in it. How would you answer those? How do you think they answered those? You know, a few weeks ago, I was reading on Facebook, and I learned that one of my friends is a teacher at my former high school. And she was sharing a story about grading some papers. And she said one of her students had obviously come to some answers that they weren't sure about the answer, and they wrote down Jesus over and over again on those answers. And she laughed inside of the post and she said, how could the answer Jesus ever really be wrong? So I gave him half credit. I was like, what? That's awesome. You know, the answer Jesus is the right answer. And here's what I want to do over the next 30 minutes. I want to look at why Jesus is the right answer to those questions that Paul was asking and why Paul wanted those Romans to understand that Jesus was the right answer. So if you haven't already grabbed your Bibles, grab those, grab something to write with, grab something to write on, maybe even your Jesus follower devotionals, and let's get ready to gather, grow, and go. We are obsessed, curious, distracted, and fixated. Like an accident on the side of the road, we can't look away. Something or someone has our attention. We are followers, and we are all following something. Sports teams, political candidates, natural disasters, breaking news, financial markets, technology trends, famous people. The list never ends. What is your curious obsession? Who or what are you following? Is Jesus on your list? Does he turn in and out of your thoughts? Is he a consideration of who you are? and what you do. He should be. Let your heart catch fire with what it means to be a Jesus follower. Your life will never be the same.
Before the intro, we read a, a series of questions, a, a verse from Paul to the Romans. And I told you that the answer to that question was Jesus. Now, if you're ever in a community group and they ask a question that you don't know the answer to, or maybe, and this never happens, I understand, but maybe you spaced out for just a second. I want you to just look at whoever it is that's leading, whoever asked the question and just tell them, Pastor Charles said the answer is always Jesus, right? There you go. There's your secret answer for anything that they say inside of community group. So why is that though? Why is Jesus the answer? Well, as we get ready to talk about that, let me just set up a couple of things about um, who Jesus is and to help us understand a couple of things that we see in the Gospels about Jesus. Here's the first thing. Jesus was sent. Now, the book of John tells us 42 times that Jesus was sent. In fact, in 16 of the 21 chapters that are in the book, you find some concept, whether it's John saying it or Jesus himself quoting it. In fact, look at John 6:38. It says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And there are some huge implications around this idea of Jesus being sent. Because being sent means that you come from somewhere. So it's impossible to be sent without an origination point. In other words, Jesus came from heaven, from God, for a reason. And that brings us to our second huge implication. And that is that being sent means that you have a purpose. So Jesus had a clear sense, not only of where he came from, but what it is that he came to do. In fact, check out what Jesus says in John chapter 12. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So why was Jesus sent? Well, based on that verse, Jesus was sent to bring light. Again, this is a huge idea in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus as light shows up 90 times in the New Testament. And in the book of John alone, one third of those show up. Check out what John chapter 8 says. It says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered them, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. Ooh, smack down, right? Jesus was putting it down on the Pharisees because he said, listen, I know very clearly where it is that I came from, where I've been sent from, and I know very clearly what I was sent for, what my purpose is. I am here to bring light. You know, several weeks ago, um, a friend of mine, Pastor Greg, shared an incredible message with us about light and about being light. And at the end of the day, what we understood about light was is that no matter what kind of light you were supposed to be, whether it was a flashlight, a path light, a solar light, a, um, a disco light. Okay, he didn't have a disco light on there. I, Pastor Greg, you should really add a disco light onto your, your, your sermon. I, I'm sure that we, we need some of that in our lives. But no matter what the light was, it all had the same purpose. 
and that is that light is something that makes vision possible. The same is true spiritually, right? Left to our own devices, left to our own abilities, people, humanity, you, me, all of us would not have the ability to see God, to know him, to have a relationship with him. So Jesus came as light, as the person to make God known, to help us to see God, to reveal God in all of his glory so that we could know him, that we could know his truth, and that we could have a personal relationship with him. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and in these most recent days, he's spoken to us in his son, the one who he appointed heir over all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance. That's Jesus is the radiance or the light of his glory. And he's the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. That verse has some huge thoughts in it. But it starts with God revealing, telling him about himself to our forefathers, right? Adam, Noah, Abraham. And then he moved to the, the prophets in Samuel and Isaiah and Jeremiah until finally we get to Jesus. And Jesus was the light. Jesus was the one who revealed who God is to all of us. You know, this is a, a key theological idea called progressive revelation. Now, progressive revelation is kind of like puzzle pieces, right? And getting little bits of truth of puzzle pieces until finally you get to put together the whole picture and you can see what the whole thing looks like. Don Stewart describes it this way. He says, progressive revelation means that God did not unfold his entire plan uh, in the book of Genesis, or for that matter, in the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament revelation, although accurate, is incomplete. And the fullness of certain teachings cannot be found in the Old Testament. Have you ever wondered why there are so many different names for God in the Old Testament? Well, it's because God was constantly revealing himself in different ways, in different puzzle pieces, if you will, to his people. And it's not until Jesus, it's not until Jesus that we get this full picture of who God is and what God's plan is. Paul, writing to a different group of people, those that were in Colossae, he says this. He says, he, that's Jesus, is the image of, of the invisible God. Now that word image is, is icon. It means a, an embodiment, a, a personal manifestation or revelation. Now we understand this word icon, right? We, we use these daily. They're on our phones. We call them apps, the little pictures that are there that help us to have an idea about what the app is and what it's gonna do. And we see them in symbols and imagery. Um, we have icons all over the place, but Unlike those sort of icons, which are uh, a likeness, but they don't really contain the fullness of it, Paul wants us to understand that Jesus, 
Jesus contained the fullness of God. Look what else he said to the Colossians. He said, for in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of deity or of God was dwelling in bodily form. So in Jesus, we have the fullness of God and his revelation. In other words, I can see clearly now. now please don't start singing anybody. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, Pastor Charles, I, all of this is really great information. And uh, it's great to know that Jesus was sent and um, that he was sent here for a purpose, which was to bring light. That's all really great. And it does help me to understand who God is. But what in the world does that have to do with that question that Paul was asking the Romans? That only those that um, believe can be saved and only those that hear can believe. And so how are they going to hear? I, I don't understand yet. Well, i tell you what, let me just read a couple more verses and then I'm going to see if I can tie the whole thing together for us. John chapter 17, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, just Jesus praying. He says, as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. John didn't want you to miss who Jesus was targeting here. He didn't want you to think that it was just the disciples that were there at this prayer. So he follows it up in chapter 20 with this. He has Jesus saying, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Okay, maybe it's closing just a little bit for you, but maybe you're not quite there yet. So let me just give you one more thing that Jesus said. It comes in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So just like Jesus, you are sent, and you are sent for a purpose, to be light. If you've ever wondered, what is the purpose of my life? What is the reason that God doesn't just zap us all out of here as soon as we say yes to Jesus, right? That'd be so cool, right? I mean, if the, if the purpose was for us to get to heaven, why doesn't God just, as soon as we say yes, just pull us out of this mess, keep us from ever messing up all over again, and, and just take us to heaven with him so we could just be with him? Isn't that the whole point? No, it's not. In fact, we've said it a, a multitude of times throughout the course of this series, but the, the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationship. And it starts with a relationship with God the Father through Jesus. That's not something that waits until we get to heaven. No, that's something that starts right now. And as that relationship grows, as we grow in that relationship, we're drawn towards and adopted into the family of God, the church. And we need each other, right? We, we need each other to encourage us whenever we're down. We need each other to pull us back whenever we're too far out in front, running ahead of everybody else. We need each other to keep us from getting too proud. We need each other to pick us up whenever we fall down. We need each other to, one of my favorite words that Pastor Caleb gave last week, one another each other. We need each other. But we weren't left behind for the purpose of developing these holy huddles that meet on Sunday or once or twice a week in somebody's home or online. That's not why we were left behind. 
We were left to be a light to the world. Being a Jesus follower is about a relationship to the world around me, my neighbors and the nations that reveals Jesus to them, the end. Jesus doesn't zap people out of this world because we were left for the end. Now, I introduced that concept a couple of weeks ago, but didn't really talk about what it means. We just kind of dropped it in there. And several of you emailed me or sent me a text message and said, hey, what in the world does the M mean? Did you just put an extra like dash in there on an accident? And no, the M stands for the mission. And the mission is them, right? Everybody who cannot see God, everyone who doesn't know Jesus, everyone who that's them, the mission. That's who it is that we were left behind to be the light, to help them to be able to see Jesus, to see God, so that they can have a relationship with him too. Now, how do we do that? Great question. Flip over just a couple of books in your Bible to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now, this is still Paul writing right here. Um, I love that Paul wrote so much in the New Testament because he gets to ask some questions in one place and the answers generally show up in his writing somewhere else. And so um, he's great whenever we have these big, tough questions about what do we do? And Paul here is writing to the people that lived in Corinth. And he wanted them to understand this idea about how do we do this? How do we show Jesus? How do we demonstrate Jesus? How do we talk about Jesus? How do we reveal him to the M, to them, to the mission, to those who can't see God, to those who don't have a relationship with Jesus? And here's what Paul says, starting in verse 14. He says, I am grateful that God always makes it possible for Christ to lead us to victory. Pause for just a second. All right, let that sink in. Paul says that he is grateful, that he is thankful to God, that God made it possible for Jesus to lead us to victory. That's amazing. You know, over the next couple of verses, I'm going to bounce between a couple different translations because this text has a lot of richness and a lot of um, really great imagery, and I want to try to highlight some of that. In fact, some of the other translations, as they translated this first verse of 14, it says that um, we were led like we were in a parade. Who leads a parade? You ever thought about that before? Who leads the parade? Now, if you were thinking about it, you might say, the Grand Marshal leads the parade, right? Yeah, that's why everybody wants to be the Grand Marshal. Wrong! The Grand Marshal does not lead the parade, right? Because the parade, the route for the parade is picked out long before the parade ever gets there. The parade director has to pick out the route that the parade is going to follow before the parade ever starts, right? Chew on that for just a minute. Think about that. Paul continues on and he says this. He said, God also helps us to spread the knowledge about Christ everywhere. And this knowledge is like the smell of perfume. So how do we do it? 
how do we reveal Jesus to the entire world? How do we reveal him to the world around us? How do we do the M, the mission? How do we help them to see Jesus more clearly? We don't. God does it. God does it. God does not bring us into relationship with him so that we can do something for him. No, God brought us into relationship with him so that he could do something through us. And, and just in case we missed this idea, Paul in the, the very next chapter says this to the Corinthians and he didn't want them to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss it. Here's what he says. He says, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So our value, our identity, our everything comes from God. So if I am, if I'm of any sort of value to somebody else, if I impart something into somebody else, if I encourage them, if I lift them up, it's not me. It's not because of me, but it's because of God and God in me. Let's continue on with 2 Corinthians, and it says this. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. It's an aroma redolent with life. So when I live in relationship, when you live in relationship with Jesus, we produce a sweet smelling aroma. That's what Paul's saying. You know, I, uh, I used to joke with my mentors whenever I first moved here, I would go to the grocery store or the coffee shop or well anywhere. And I was looking for people who didn't know Jesus. I wanted to have conversations with them. I wanted to engage. I wanted to share the gospel with them. And inevitably, as I was doing that, I would always find somebody who was already a believer. I, I used to joke with them. I was like, it's like I have some sort of a radar sense to be able to find these people because there's only supposed to be like one out of every 10 people in this city are a, a Jesus follower. So how in the world can I find them all? I'm pretty sure that four years ago, I talked to every Jesus believing follower here in the city of Goodyear. Okay, maybe not, but pretty close to it. At least that's what it felt like because everywhere, everywhere that I went, I seem to have this knack for finding these people. And I think it may be something about their sweet aroma and my sweet aroma. We were just kind of drawn to each other. Now, I, I know that we have a lot of campers that are in our, our midst that are um, watching and worshiping with us. And I'm not a huge camper, but I have um, gone from time to time, especially uh, with some of my college buddies. And uh, every time that I would go camping and um, when I would come back from camping, my wife would greet me and then she would go, whew, you reek. She would tell me that I stunk like campfire. She would say it was in my clothes. It was in my hair. It was in everything that I had taken with me. And you see, unbeknownst to me that as I spent time next to the campfire, that smell, that aroma leaked into, it seeped into, it saturated everything. And the same is true when we spend time with Jesus, when we get next to him, when we are next to that 
campfire, if you will, if we're next to a life with him, if we're in relationship with him, we begin to smell like Jesus. We put off this life-giving aroma. Vance Pittman, in his book, he shares a quote from his mentor, Clyde Cranford, and it says this, if we are walking in intimacy with Christ, the sweet smell of his presence in our lives rises first to the nostrils of God as a fragrant aroma. But then this fragrant disseminates to those that are around us. That is so good and so true because God does it. And God does it through the overflow of my relationship with Jesus and with him. The King James Version of this verse contains the word manifest. And the word manifest literally means to, to show, to make known. So in other words, the more that I spend time with Jesus, then my life will produce, it will make known, it will shed light, it will showcase to everybody else who Jesus is. So it's not something that I do per se, it's something that I am because I am in relationship with Jesus. And by being in relationship with Jesus, that overflow or that over smell, if you will, is what draws others towards him. Clyde Cranford finishes off the quote by saying this, this is real Christianity. It's a spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. So it's not something that we do. It's something that God does. I mean, a branch doesn't think about producing fruit, right? A vine branch doesn't think about producing grapes. That's a natural overflow, a natural outflow of the nutrients and all of the things that happen when it's connected to the vine, when it's connected back to the trunk. That's how that fruit is produced. And the same is true in your life and in my life, is that when we are connected, when we are in relationship with Jesus, then it is a natural outflow, a natural overflow of our relationship to be able to draw others in. So God does it. God does it through the overflow of our relationship with him, and he does it through our lives and our lips. So Paul finishes off this section of teaching by asking a question. Now, it's a question that we already have answered. You should already know the answer to this, but we're going to um, hear it again, and you can answer it again as we're walking through this. Paul says, but who is adequate for such a task as this? Only those who, like ourselves, are men of integrity, sent by God, speaking with Christ's power, with God's eyes upon us. So God's choice of instrument is us. It's you and it's me. It's us. Now, I know that our country is incredibly divided right now. It seems like everything is an us versus them sort of a, a category on things, whether it's re Republicans versus Democrats, or um, maybe it's East Coast versus West Coast, or mainland versus coasts, or um, racism, or 
capitalism versus uh, socialism, you name it, everything seems to be some sort of massive division. And I'm actually going to add into that division for just a second, because there is a real us versus them mentality inside of and with the church. Us is the instrument of God's choice. Us is the church. Us is the body of Christ. Us is Jesus' followers. And us was made. Us was left behind. And us is here for the M. And the M is not just a who, it's also a what. Who is it? It's them. It's everyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and access to God the Father because of that. That's them. That's the us that was created for them. But it's also a what. The M is also the mission. You see, that's the purpose of why it is that we were left behind. For them. For the who and for the what. So whenever you see that word, the M, I'm talking about both a who and a what, because church is not for us. Church is for the M, for them, and for the mission. That's why it was left behind. It's why we are here, and it's what we're supposed to be about. And it's why we have to spend time in relationship with Jesus and God the Father so that that sweet-smelling aroma can coat us and we can be life-giving to those that are around us. That's the end. Jesus said, let your light shine before men, before them, in such a way that they, that them, would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We've talked about two other relational words up to this point, gathering and growing. But we weren't left here just to gather. We weren't left here just to grow. We weren't even left here to gather and to grow. We were left here to gather, to grow for the purpose of going. That's the third relational word, go. And it comes straight from Jesus's final instruction with his disciples as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples. In fact, literally it translates as, as you are going. In other words, in the course of your life, as you're living out and as you are a part of relationships in other places, that the overflow of your relationship with the Father and the the working out of what that relationship and one anothering looks like with other believers, that that sweet aroma that is supposed to fill you up, that's supposed to overflow out of your life, that it will draw others to you so that you can then talk about the life that you've been given through Jesus. I want you to hear this. This is massively important. We authenticate the message of Jesus by the lives that we live and the words that we say. You know, earlier I mentioned a stat about our city that nine out of 10 people would not be a Jesus follower. Nine out of 10. You know, a lot of people have come to believe that America is one of the toughest places to share the gospel because people just aren't open to it here. But I I don't believe that that's true. 
You know, in the last three years, we've seen almost 40 people who have come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and have followed through with baptism. 40 people of all ages, demographics. And here's what I think. I think more people are open, but I think that they're waiting. They're waiting to see if what it is that we have is real, if it's authentic. Robert Lewis, in his book, The Church of Irresistible Influence, says this, The world is tired of the church impersonally talking it down and chewing it up. What the world waits to see is whether what we have is better than what they have. Just think what bridges we could build if we truly followed the example of the New Testament church. We would go beyond being seeker-sensitive to a new frontier of being community admired. We would be known not just by the corner that we inhabit, but by the city with which we interact. And people would be drawn to God, not because of the weekly show in our church, but by the irrefutable lives that we incarnate. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to be that kind of church one that is filled with people that understand that it's not about me, but God is all about you. It's all about you through me, reaching and drawing people towards you. And that's what the M, the mission is all about. It's about them. It's about living out a life and using my words to tell others about you. God, we do services. We do services not just because we want to come into your presence and and tell you how much it is that we love you and not just because we need to be gathered around with other believers, but God, we do it as as an act of service. That's why it's a worship service. It's an opportunity for us to display something totally different to our community around us about what it looks like to live in relationship with you and have relationship with other believers for the purpose of the gospel and those who don't know you. God, I pray that over this church. Pray that over the lives that are watching and listening right now. God, that they would be so filled up with your aroma. That people would be drawn to you. And God, even if it's as much as they just point back to where it is that they found water at, that you would use that to bless your name and to change lives. God, we desperately need more of you and less of us. It's in your precious and holy son's name that we pray. Amen.